Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode nine of the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I'm Colin McFader, and I'm joined again, as per <laughs> usual, by Clark Coffey. Again, I'm still here. You can't get rid yeah, of me. Still around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to be going over lesson 10. I know it gets a little bit confusing there, but uh, lesson 10 of the Herzog podcast. Sorry, the Herzog Masterclass. Uh, we are the Herzog podcast, um, and this one talks <laughs> about all about the Herzog masterclass. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, this so one talks meta. all about shooting strategy, and uh, and so it's sort of related to our last episode, which was about basically everything going on before the cameras are rolling, and like you know, set rules and, and and ways to prepare yourself. But now this is about the actual shooting and the right. you know the the point when the camera is recording actually and, rolling yeah um, how to get to that point and how to sort of more i guess rather than the set rules a little bit more of a creative tinge on this one about about like a creative process to get you to that point and, uh, and so right off the bat really herzog says come unprepared <laughs> yes that's his big thing oh my um, gosh and it's 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 awesome you know so i i've seen this quoted in other places if you if you uh read reviews of his masterclass, and I think he said this in other interviews as well. Mm-hmm. I, I know yeah. he has. Uh, it's one of his more famous kind of, yeah, I don't know, controversial, but you know, uh, he definitely draws a, a, a line in the sand here, and he's like, storyboards are the instruments of cowards. Yes. And yeah. uh, if you want to do your your voice here, you can, Colin. But uh, what a great <laughs> the line. Instrument <laughs> of cowards. Yeah. No, I mean, and and that's it's an interesting because I think again, it's one of those things that's so it's such a it's like a soundbite. And yeah. So he does admit later that they he are does. often needed for things like sound there and special are effects and and yeah. things like that. But I do. Do you storyboard, Clark? Do you? Do you so uh... I'll, so yeah, I'll, I'll t- so I have I have never storyboarded, but I have also never shot a, uh, a scenes that had complicated special effects or really complicated choreo- choreographed action. Mm-hmm. But what I have done is this. So I, you know, uh, for other shoots, what I have done in preparation is I've made shot lists for myself. So not storyboarded, yes. but yes. I have written them out. And for myself, what this gets me doing is it puts me in a very visual headspace where I can start to visualize the film scene by scene by scene, moment by moment by moment. Now, it's not necessarily the case that when I arrive on set, I'm following this to an absolute T. But I do have to say that I don't show up unprepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at now maybe, you know, look, Herzog is clearly he's a gifted filmmaker and clearly yeah. he's got a lot of films under his belt now. And so a lot of things that are just intuitive muscle memory type things to him may not be so for other uh, directors with less experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when I'm shooting something that's got any kind of complexity to it whatsoever, I do put myself through the exercise of creating shot list. And I try to push myself past, you know, just, you know, uh, past the low line fruit. You yeah, know? Well, I think it's interesting that you say, uh, like you said earlier, that when you shot list, it's, it's, for you, I almost find that you don't follow it to a T. What no. I find is that shot listing opens me up and allows me to be more creative on set because yeah. I have a list that I know. So I know like it's it's kind of counterintuitive, but yeah. because I have a shot list, 
I know what I need to get, and that saves me the pressure of having to worry, yes. oh, am I going to miss this shot? And allows me to go, let's throw a shot in here, let's add a shot I, there. I riff off of it, you know, right? So yeah, a good way yeah. to think of it is like, it's almost, you know, it's like uh, if this were the, the you know, the, the sheet music or something for a piece, you know, but um, instead of playing it note by note by note, it's like it allows me to improvise. I, I take off from that mm-hmm. place, right? But I think for me, it, it just helps me break down the script uh, and it helps me put it into kind of these visual blocks and, you know, which are just their setups. And I, right? I sort of, I find that, um, I find too that storyboarding sort of is the antithesis of that, that I find that storyboarding really locks you into a visual style. Right. And, a, and, and, and I think it's know. a different way of thinking, right? Yeah. It's yeah. So, so when I shot list, I am, you know, it's really activating my imagination, right? It's like mm-hmm. I'm having mm-hmm. to, you know, it, it, I'm not taking my visualized um, imaginings and putting them on a piece of paper and then going, you know, onto the set and then replicating that picture that I've drawn on a piece of paper, right? Mm-hmm. It's still language. It's not visual. And so there's still that... There's the moment where your brain has to visualize it. Right. And so, you know, I don't know if Herzog, you know, I'd be curious to kind of hear what he might say about shot list versus uh, versus storyboards. But, you know, and and for me, I think, you know, the more shooting I do, um, the more comfortable I get improvising. But for me, it's I I really I I try to I I don't want to get on set and then just grab the low line cliched shots right the mm-hmm. low line yeah it's that, the you know that you come, where it's yeah. just like a yeah. twofer and an over the shoulder over shoulder and it's like i might as well be making a soap opera yeah I, I you know i'm trying to and not just for the sake of it though i mean not you know i'm not sitting here like oh it's dutch angle this thing just for the hell of it you know obviously <laughs> motivated Earth, by yeah. story <laughs> you know motivated by story but you know it just it's right i mean look movies are visual mediums and mm-hmm. uh, which which of course you would think yeah of course they are of course they are but look at how many f- films and television shows don't seem to understand that it's a visual storytelling rely medium on exposition rely, because yeah. it's basically it's basically shot theater and, mm-hmm. and a lot yeah. of television is shot theater especially but a lot of films are too and so at least for me i'm trying to think of you know how much information how much story can i convey visually exactly and so it's like trying to achieve a density of visual storytelling at least for me requires preparation now i i I, I, um sorry go ahead no and i just said you know but but if if i i don't know how many films has herzog shot now 40 some odd Mm -hmm. i'm not sure Mm -hmm. you know uh when i get to a place like that hopefully if i ever get to a place like that you know i mean i think he's He's in a, he's at a level of experience where these kind of things are muscle memory for him. It's not exactly. for me yet. Yeah. So, I mean, I will say though about storyboarding, and this is kind of almost proving his point. Um, so the feature that I'm directing coming up, of course, is my first feature that I'm directing. Uh, yeah. And Woo-hoo! the producers um, and I sort of reached an agreement where I said, okay, to, to ease your nerves, I will storyboard it. And right. so in that instance is essentially literally the instrument of cowards because it's about go. easing nerves. Yeah. So, so it does kind of prove his point that like normally I wouldn't, I, I don't storyboard. I don't find that they ever help me. But you had um, to kind of prove but, yourself. But I said, so I speak. said, you know yeah. what, I'll, I'll, and, and they're being very open to the idea that it, it's not going to be steadfast. We yeah. probably won't even have the storyboards on set. It'll probably just be kind of a pre thing where we go through just the right. shots and kind of go, okay, here's, here's what I'm thinking of for this moment. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's literally in that instance technically an instrument for cow. For well, and I think because, that's a really uh, good that's a good yeah. perspective to bring to it, you know. And I think that's probably that's likely some of what at least some of what Herzog is actually speaking to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sadly, the coward may not be you, the director. The coward yeah. may be <laughs> your investors or producers, mm-hmm. and you know it may be something that you have to do on occasion. Uh, in order to in order to direct the film, in order to keep the the film financed and to keep your position in it, so um, so that those are you know those are situations that you may come to. Now, of course, you can do the storyboard, and then once you get on set, you know, <laughs> do your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, yeah, that's a piece of the, the bureaucratic machine that you have to that you have to do uh, to keep the money happy. You know, yeah. No, exactly. And I think that that's, that's, in essence, exactly the point is that I think that you do, it is a lot of, and of course, this, this episode isn't necessarily about that negotiation. That was a few episodes ago. But just to reiterate the points from that, so much of it is about the, the give and take. Um, so I know I could have totally put my foot down and said, No, I'm not storyboarding. I don't storyboard, blah, 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 blah. But I said, Okay, I'll, we can go through storyboards so you know what I'm thinking of for these shots however my and again i put in like a little kind of stipulation where i sort of said i don't want them on set i don't want to hear anything about it if if the shot that we're doing doesn't look like the storyboard or i don't want it you know that's my only caveat in this that i'll do the storyboards and and but i'm not going to i'm not going to use them on set i'm not going to these aren't going to become our bible that we can't deviate from exactly absolutely well that was smart of you i think and that's a good that's good advice for people uh, if you happen to find yourself in that situation where you're storyboarding for someone else, because mm-hmm. uh, it's their requirement, I, if if you can uh, work in some kind of stipulations like that, where they're not on set or they're on set, but you know they they don't have to be the end all be all alpha omega, um, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely, exactly, yeah. And I think that even in that instance too, it's it's one of those things where it's it's. I think it's just keeping everyone happy too, you know, like keeping, yeah. keeping everyone comfortable, but sometimes um, you got to do, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, as, as Herzog said in the uh, previous episodes too, what's it that he will, you know, he, of course he takes no for an answer. Of course he, of course he's willing yeah. to compromise. Um, and the only time, you know, actually just a real quick touch on the special effects bit too. Um, it was interesting that I, and I understand in CG heavy movies with big effects sequences, why you would use that. But yeah. the limited experience I have in special effects, I've almost found more interesting to not storyboard them and just, again, to shot list or kind of give an idea because then I can have fun kind of working on those effects afterwards. There was, there was one effect, again, very incredibly simple where I had to get words. I had to basically have figured a way for somebody to have a conversation with a piece of paper that they would write down a message on the paper and then words would appear on the page. Um, right. And I wanted to do it in camera. I wanted to get it so that it would, you know, it would fit in. So basically I had made up like 50 different copies of this piece of paper with trying to I make the handwriting identical. And then mm. I would just in one shot have the one piece of paper without that note and then swap out the, the piece of paper but it was one of those things that i figured out on set i didn't um right. or during tests now, i didn't wait, you did this it. effect in camera i did it in camera and was then it I like a stop motion a, type uh, I, i'm trying to no kind of so imagine. what i did was i painted out the so i had the the one that, so let's say that like uh 
the line that the character writes is like hello and then the right the line that appears is you know good day mm-hmm. um what i did was i had one note that said one piece of paper that only said hello and okay. then i had another piece of paper that said hello and good day and then i tried to copy the handwriting exactly for the hello so it looked like it was the same paper right and then i painted out the i had the initial hello plate without the good day and then i painted out the good day on the other plate and matched them and then kind of did this weird almost like ink effect coming through the page okay um but again i mean that's that's not a huge so kind CG of a battle dissolve, scene, but not to almost make this a dissolve. All about, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but it was, it was, uh, but it's it was small, one of those things again that just... I came up with on on testing because I was like, I, I don't know what this is going to look like, and I think that maybe that's something that could be applied to those larger yeah. battle scenes and things like that, where you're well, thinking, you know. you know, it's interesting. I mean, I have zero. I mean, I have I have flat out zero experience uh, working in you know. It, extremely heavy special effects latent films and i I always Mm -hmm. use you know marvel movies as an example because they seem to be the epitome of these type of films yeah but but even you know uh other films can have an extensive amount of special effects i think we might have talked about fincher and you know he doesn't make action movies in in that way in the vein of marvel at all but his films have quite a bit of special effects work a lot of cgi as well Mm-hmm. Um, just a different type of application of CGI. But I would imagine the more complex you get, the more pre-visualized, the more, I mean, they've probably got to plan these things to wit- to within an inch of their life, I'm guessing. Um, and so maybe for simpler special effects, uh, you can kind of, you know, sort things out on the day on set. But I'm guessing, you know, from what I've seen, uh, when you really have some, you know, some significant complex special effects, it's boy, these things are like prevised like crazy. I mean, it's like you're like, you know, they've got like a PlayStation Four game of the whole scene before that. You know what I mean? With all the, this crazy previs software they've got out now, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, and it'd be interesting to speak to some people who've done extensive acting work uh, on a film like that. Uh, I, I'm imagining that that is one of the larger challenges uh, working in an entire green screen, you know, environment with little to nothing to react to. Yeah. It's tough. So so props to people like Robert Downey and, you know, a lot of these actors who give pretty darn good performances and in, you know, in in a green suit, in a green room, talking to a tennis ball. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. I mean, there is that, there is that, to that too, to that, that the, the, the famous shot of, of George Lucas working on the Star Wars prequels where he's like highlighting what is oh, real God. in the storyboard and what's going to be CG. <laughs> I mean, and I feel like, like those are great examples of, you know, and people have talked about those films to death, but th- yeah. that's great yeah. examples of performances that just had to have suffered horrifically because there was nothing to react to. There, there was, was nothing no, real on yeah. set, but, yeah. but not to get but, too, um, too far away here from, from Herzog's masterclass, mm-hmm. but, but well, that's cool though. And I think, you know, with smaller, right. And I think it has to do a lot with whatever, you know, as a director, your experience level with these kind of things are going to dictate to what extent you can, you can hold back and not do too much planning versus, you know, mm-hmm. figuring things out on set. I mean, I don't think I'd recommend if you have no idea how you're going to get an effect shot or you've got a complicated choreograph scene. I don't know. You know, I don't know about showing up and not having any ideas about how to do that. Especially um, if you're beginning. Especially I mean, if you're beginning. Yeah. But I have a hunch, though. I have a hunch that, you know, when Herzog says, you know, he doesn't he doesn't storyboard and he's kind of coming unprepared. My hunch is that he's actually quite prepared. 
Yeah. Um, it's just that he yeah. hasn't premeditated every single action. I, and he's open never, to flexibility. Yeah. I, yeah, I would never want to put words in his mouth. This is just my interpretation. But I think mm-hmm. unprepared and not premeditated to the nth are not the same thing. I, no. I, I imagine yeah. he's actually very prepared when he walks on set. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So once he's there, uh, Herzog talks about you know working himself into a state of intense vision during the shooting himself and this is really compelling to me he you know at many different areas in the filmmaking process herzog talks about you know the importance of urgency and the importance of like working yourself into an intensity and i think this is this is super interesting and again i this is just my interpretation uh obviously you know i'd never put words in his mouth or you know, but my reading of that, what that is to me, I feel like he's clearly somebody who works in an extremely intuitive level. Yes. And, you know, it's like there's this Meyer Briggs stuff, right? These personality tests. And, you know, some people are thinkers, some people are feelers, some people are, you know, intuitives and other people, you know, there's all these different kind of personality categories, which I can't remember them all right now. But I know for myself, I've tested as more of a feeling intuitive type person. And this kind of stuff really resonates with me. Um, and and so it, it really speaks to me. And maybe this mm-hmm. is part of why his films and kind of his philosophy of filmmaking really speak to me in general. I feel like we maybe come from some of the same places. Um, but that's what I that's the sense that I kind of get that he really works from a feeling intuitive place. Mm-hmm. And and it's so much more about instinctual almost yeah and 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 like working yourself into an emotional intensity that propels you as opposed to a thinking and analyzing and planning right almost like i would imagine like fincher maybe is more of a director that works from that angle of course i could be completely wrong here but you know just just kind of the like overgeneralizing perhaps a little bit you know i could see fincher being like a thinking planning analyzing cerebral kind of director I, and i think he i think you're not wrong there i think he is yeah. quite that i mean which is funny too though because i think a lot of people get that wrong and again not to not to digress too much but i think a lot of people get that wrong about kubrick is that a lot of people think that kubrick oh, was so meticulously planned yeah you know, like yeah. dictator on set who everything was, was planned out in, in advance, whereas he would very often get onto set with no storyboard, no shots planned and yeah. kind of plan um, the day as it went on and just kind of improvise and, went, you know, would go, why don't we, you know, there's those famous shots of him walking around the Shining set with a viewfinder sort of mm-hmm. going like, where do we want to shoot this from? And so I think that that's, again, I think people build up these personas about a lot of directors where, it's like what's well, I'm sure good. What's, what's the best way to to we're direct all a mixture. this? Yeah, yeah I mean, we're exactly. All of, I mean, that's the thing. We're yeah. all a mixture. We, all of us operate at different you know levels of all of these metrics. You know, mm-hmm. of course, none yeah. none of us are completely intuitive and then you know not analytical. I mean, that's you know we're a mixture of all these things. But but it's the sense that I get. You know, as I try to suss out what Herzog's speaking to in this lesson, um, where he's talking, and that's kind of that's how I apply it to myself. Um, and, and it's, it's one of the reasons I love, we just talked in our last episode about working right next to the camera, uh, mm-hmm. right with actors right there. You know, I, I, it's a physicality. It's a, it's, it's, it's such a feeling intuitive, you know, emotional thing, or at least for me when it's working, it is. Yes. And, and I actually yeah. almost feel like it's 
that analytical kind of cerebral part of me is actually like diminished or it's like when I know I'm really in a flow, those things actually kind of recede quite a bit mm -hmm. for me. And it, yeah. I really feel like I'm moving and acting and, and making decisions from a physical place, if that even makes sense. No, I know um, what you mean. Yeah. 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 So uh, for me, Herzog, is, this really makes sense to me and it, it really speaks to me. Now, of course, how you do this, uh, everybody's got to kind of find your own way. I mean, this is a, this is an integral part of everybody's creative process that uh, some people are challenged with kind of refining over a long period of time. Some people seem to intuit their creative process out very quickly and early in life. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had to work pretty hard to refine and find mine. I don't know what your experience has been about yours, but um, but everybody's got to find their own ways. Uh, yeah. to, to work themselves into this kind of emotional intensity. But I love, I, I just, like, I, it would be so, 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 so amazing. So obviously you and I, we're fans of Herzog. This is clear. If you're listening, you're probably also a fan of Herzog. Otherwise, okay, that's cool that you're listening. Although but they might I, be a fan of us. <laughs> maybe they're, oh, well, uh, that's that's an awful sweet thought. Um, but uh, I just, I, I would so love to be on set on a, on a film with Herzog. Mm -hmm. I love how he talks about how this, you know, kind of, you know, coming without this premeditated, fully thought out plan keeps your crew and your cast on edge. It keeps them sharp. And I, I would love to experience it. I would yeah. love to experience it. I think, you know, th there is definitely an interesting aspect to think about this, right? If you don't storyboard, if you don't have everything fully premeditated and planned out to the end, it, I would imagine that really does, right? I mean, obviously, within reason. I mean, your actors have to know what scenes you're going to be shooting that yeah, you day. Gotta have like, yeah, that, right. That, I mean, it can't just plan, come yeah. out of the blue. But, but to really be physically there with your DP, with your, you know, with, uh, with your actors, you know, blocking scenes out, or you know, setting up shots and kind of working things in the moment. I think that's that really does help keep people present. Which, again, is where I, I think, again, and I think, I, not to assume anything, but I think that Herzog would agree, which is that I, I prepare so that I don't have to worry about that, if that yes. makes sense, right? Yeah, like, I prepare, I prepare to, and kind of, again, like we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, like, I prepare to, I prepare my shot list so that I can go off of it, so that I, yeah. so that I don't have to, so that I don't have to follow it. Yeah. Um, and I think that that makes things so much more easier and so much less stressful of, you know, yeah. if you're stressed and if you're thinking about like, oh, do I have this? this oh, it this, throttles your that. creativity. Stress. Yeah. I feel like anxiety is the is the creative creativity mm -hmm. killer. Yeah. For me, at least. I mean, uh, there's a, there's an edge that's good to have. And I, that's, you know, Terzog's mm -hmm. talking about keeping your the cat crew and cast on edge. There's an edge. There's like an excitement that's good to have. Anxiety, at least for me, not so much. Uh, anxiety will definitely, I imagine, like two hands around my you know it's like creativity's throat and it's no it's no good for me yeah i think some people may respond differently to that but yeah for me i have to have kind of a energy is good anxiety not so much no exactly <laughs> uh now here's we're getting into a topic that herzog covers here in this lesson that i i definitely have some specific opinions about and i i'm really interested to hear yours shooting coverage Mm -hmm. And wow, uh, I have definitely seen 
uh, some, some different <laughs> theories in application on many different shoots in this area. Yeah. But we'll we'll start with what Herzog uh, says here in this lesson. And then, Cullen, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. But Herzog says avoid too much coverage. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he basically says here in this lesson that he shoots very, very little coverage um, to the point that, um, you know, pe like people can be concerned, you know, his producers can be concerned, the studios can be concerned. Um, but he specifically mentions one of his actors, Nicolas Cage, being thrilled. And as an actor, yes, you would generally be thrilled because, yeah. wow, it takes a ton of the tedium and monotony out of a shoot if you don't have to be there shooting coverage all day long. But uh, so Herzog's stance is avoid shooting much coverage. Cullen, what do you think? No, I agree. Uh, I don't I don't like coverage. I don't I, I there was a movie that came out um last year i believe or two years ago the bad times at the el royale i'm not sure if you saw that i didn't, I didn't. um it was all coverage it was insane it was like well, someone me, would go yeah, over to so, so why do you not what do you what do you think of like when when you say i i agree with herzog i i'm not a fan tell me a little bit more about i mean what do you see as the? i, I just the know i i think it's a big part of it is is learning to direct like an editor and yes. to know where you're going to cut and what it's you're going to cut to um, yeah. when you're shooting. And I think that a lot of people that don't think that way and haven't trained themselves to think that way, they shoot a ton of coverage because it's, you know, and I, again, there's there's an understanding to that where it's like, hey, maybe they want to make those decisions in the editing room. But, well, and that's, um, I think that that's, what, that's kind of what it is. I mm -hmm. think that what you're doing is procrastinating on your decision making. That's how, I mean, so for me, so I agree. I agree with you and I agree with Herzog. I have worked on projects where I've worked with people who have the exact opposite take where their mm -hmm. mentality is, no, 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 let's get everything. Let's shoot everything we can possibly shoot. And that yeah, way no, I, when uh... we're going back into the editing room because it, it's tempting, right? It's tempting. Let's think about yeah. it. It's like, okay, you're because here's the mentality. Generally, it's like this. Okay, look, we're, we've spent all this money up until this point. We have everybody here. We have the actors. We have the crew, and we're on location. Let's get it. Why all, would yeah. right? Like, why yeah. would we not shoot everything we can possibly shoot? I mean, and and on surface face value, this makes sense, right? This makes kind of a logical kind of sense. It's like, well, yeah, of course. Let's let's shoot everything that we could possibly shoot that way. No matter what happens in editing, we've got it. Like, we can do something with it. Yes, but I and... could not disagree more with that exactly because I, th I think yeah. what you're what you're doing a couple things in my opinion so first of all you're procrastinating on all the decision making that should be taking place right there on location mm -hmm. you should be deciding what the film is going to look like right there and and like you said you should be thinking directing as an editor you should be able to visualize the story in your head i mean you should have been visualizing it long before you're on set but this should be the execution of those visual decisions and if you're just shooting everything then you're pushing all of those decisions back to the onto the editor. And even if you are the editor, if you, the director, are the editor, which happens, of course, on a lot of smaller projects, you're still, that procrastination will not help you. It no. definitely won't help you if, if you're giving all this footage to another outside editor, but it won't help you either if, if you're the editor. And what I feel like is that it dilutes everything. Mm. Yeah, it makes it, it, it. It's like spreading too much butter over like a big piece of, or too little butter over a big piece of bread, right? I was it's gonna like, say you can't have too much butter, Colin. No, Come on, man! Much. Like, what's? <laughs> I don't even understand um, this language that you're speaking. But but, but no, I, I think that it does exactly that. It, yeah. it 
it loses the focus. Um, absolutely. You should it be, absolutely. you know, if, if you're not, if you, if you don't have an idea or a vision enough in, in that day's shoot to know the shots that are going to appear yep. on the screen or hopefully appear on the screen, yeah. then what are you shooting for? What are you're you just, doing? At that point, you're, uh, as Herzog says, you're a garbage collector. A- absolutely. Um, yes. Thank that. And I love, like, so, he has such a wonderful way with language and, yeah. uh, which mm. makes sense, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, absolutely. And I've had this problem in uh, specifically in documentary films that I've made. And we're going to get, he specifically touches on uh, some some advice or suggestions for documentary filmmaking here. But, you know, I've had that problem where mm-hmm. I was not focused enough. Uh, and it was, it was, it, and I'm still working on this. I'm learning with a narrative film. I feel like I'm more in touch with this. Uh, in documentary filmmaking, I'm working on it, where I have a specific vision for the film, um, and it, it's a balance for me of letting the documentary tell me or show me where it wants to go, <clears throat> yeah. but having a concrete vision as well, and and actually taking the reins and shaping, not not just like you know being a fly on the wall and letting the footage go where it will but actually you know having a vision and directing mm-hmm. that documentary such that it you know it conforms to some extent to my vision although you know maintaining flexibility of course to go with where the footage takes you but i mean i've come back from shooting documentary footage with so much footage i can't even do anything with it no yeah I, i'm it's, like it's, paralyzed yeah. i'm paralyzed because there's so many hours of footage and now I'm sitting here editing it or I'm trying to pass it off to another editor and they look at it and they're overwhelmed. They're like, I don't know what, what do you want to do with this? You you have a hundred hours of footage. So I've been down that road, um, still learning when it comes to documentaries, but, uh, yeah, yeah. no, it can be, coverage, it can be really difficult. Um, yeah. it can be really good, especially documentary can be really difficult to prevent yourself because there's times when you're like, Oh, let's just let the camera roll right. and get everything. And that can be really useful. Well, but and it this can comes, also, I can yeah. see where it can just be absolute hell. I mean, I almost wonder if you could trick yourself into thinking, okay, I'm shooting with film. It's like you, you, you likely or not, especially with a documentary, you're not going to be shooting with film. But it's almost like if you could like convince yourself. I mean, in you the know, very least, like, I would say on on cameras like the one that I have now, if I'm shooting in raw on you know at, at least at you're gonna huge, run out of space huge i could run out of space and the you know most cinema cameras don't really have a delete function on them a lot yeah. of them don't it's um, a pain so in the you, butt you you've are, got it, right you've got a yeah. you, yep 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 you and of so, course have more you know more space than a, a magazine of film would but um and it's time as opposed to money generally yes, speaking because yes. you know you could take the time and upload the footage and da 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 you could do these things but you know so i mean sometimes in, our, in whatever ways you might be able to kind of game it and trick yourself into into working with some kind of urgency and, and, you know, scarcity. But, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I've been down that road. So I can definitely speak from experience it, you know, and I've also been down that road on other projects for narratives where the idea was, let's just shoot everything. Mm -hmm. And it just, that lack of focus just really, and that procrastination of decision-making never, I have literally never seen it help a film one time. I, I mean, I've seen some small instances where it was like, oh, thank God we had that insert or, you know, thank God we had this angle. Um, but but as as far as actually helping a film or as far as actually making a film better or making, you know, actually having the story come together in editing, I've never seen it. And you know what I think the issue is? I think that there's a huge misunderstanding of, say, like a movie, for example, like Apocalypse Now, 
yeah. where the first work print cut was like five and a half hours. And sure, that works for that movie, and maybe that's how Coppola likes to do that. But I think people see that and go, oh, that means that, you know, my first cut should be super long. And, it should be, <laughs> and, 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 and you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that happens so often with film yeah. is that people assume that just because it's the way that somebody who's famous works, that right. they have to work like that, and that's how they're going to make their movies well. But no, right. if I if my... You know, if anything, a lot of the times my initial cut will be the shortest possible version I can can do of it, so that I can then extend things and, and leave oh, that's spaces rare. to breathe. That's um, I mean, I it's not that. always like that, but it's yeah. it's you know there have been times Sometimes. when it has been like that where it's like you know I've I've been like you know what that's too quick I need to give that a moment to especially yeah. with composers is that I'm uh, I very much work with the composer in the editing process so that if my composer Eva can say. Um, Hey, can you add, you know, two seconds onto there? Because I think that would be a really nice sting for a, a moment there for the music. Mm-hmm. And so I'll actually work with my editor to to compose to music. Of course, right. that is if there is music in the moment. But um, right. But yeah, the, I mean, I think that people people like you said, and like like as you said earlier, how we're all kind of a mix between these things that people I think my biggest piece of advice to, you know, especially when I'm teaching classes is don't look at what somebody famous or successful did and just try and replicate that because the likelihood is that's that they're doing that because it works for them and it probably won't work for you. Just come up with a way to do it for yourself that then feels comfortable and efficient for you. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just going, well, you know, uh, Coppola did a huge cut for his first one. So I, that's how I, all of my first cuts will be. And, um, and it, also, you don't have the context of anything. It, yeah. you know, that may actually be something. I'm just making stuff up here, but it's like, you know, Coppola's success may be in spite of that, right? That may be mm-hmm. a challenge for him that he's having to work through mm-hmm. that you actually could be copying a maladaptive or, you know, uh, challenging aspect of his creative process that he hasn't refined in himself you know so without context yeah it's ridiculous it's ridiculous to copy you know some piece of somebody else's creative process and try to incorporate that yourself yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um i context is key and yeah you've got to find your and even with all of this i mean hopefully people you know it's you watch this master class you know herzog has done this and he's given so many interviews about filmmaking and um and uh, there's so much content out there. But, you know, really, I mean, the idea is not to copy mindlessly any of these aspects no. of yeah, filmmaking exactly. or, or creative process. It's And that's why we kind of like to say that this is, you know, we just use this class and his films and his works as a jumping off point to kind of discuss our own creative process and to help yeah. us find our own. So it's it's never like, oh, well, Herzog said, don't do this. Then, OK, I'm never going to do it. Or Herzog said. And you I know, think that that's a huge issue with a lot of film education these days, especially yeah. online, um, is that you'll get, you know, these these channels that will will go into uh, the specificities of how Deacon's lights a shot. And it's yeah. like, now oh, yeah. you've got to do this exactly like that. And it's like, well, right. no, come up with your own way. And, um, but no, I, I think that, you know, to get back into um, the lesson before I, uh, before I kind of derailed us. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's okay. I, I, I do think that the coverage thing is exactly, and I, for me, I think the reason that I, I don't do coverage often too, is that I, um, is that I, I, I enjoy shooting things in, uh, long sort of uninterrupted takes, okay. um, which can which be talks more... about, yeah, yeah as a does, way yeah. to potentially save some time. 
Um, and I don't even do that really as a time saver. To me, it's just, uh, and again, we discussed this a little bit in the work of actors episode, but it's it's something that I find, I find A, I'll get better performances out of actors if I can just allow them to do their thing yeah. and then allow the camera to do its thing I agree. In, a, in a take. Yeah. Um, and, but on top of that too, I find that often compositionally, it makes for a more, like, you know, if I'm sitting at, uh, if I have a conversation at a table, instead of doing over the shoulder, sometimes I find that these conversations would be more interesting if they're sitting almost diagonal to each other at the corner mm. and yeah. they can really get close to each other and act that way and lean into each other. And the, the conversation now becomes something that's playing on screen as opposed to just this division of, um, the two actors on the well, set. Well, it's nice to play around too. I mean, obviously there is, you know, you can get to a place where you're, you're shooting a one or that's so long and complicated that it's, you know, by it's you know much more complicated and takes much longer to set up and shoot than it would be if you were doing traditional coverage. So, it you know everything kind of depends and has its boundaries. But also, it's fun to play around with you know recomposing shots on the fly mm-hmm. within you know within a single take is can be really fun and can break things up um, as opposed to, again, just a traditional, you know, two shot over the shoulder, over the shoulder, which is, you know, such a staple and is it, it's hard to get away from that entirely. But it can also be a, 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 a pleasant exercise or a fun experience uh, when you're utilizing it, of course, to tell your story. Mm-hmm. But to, to compose on the fly, to move from one composition to another, um, I mean, I, I personally enjoy it. Uh, and I think and, a lot and of Herzog loves that feeling of like the floating camera too. Like right. He, he uses that so often where the camera is sort of exploring the space. Yeah. 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 I, it's absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, of course, uh, depending on your project, but, uh, where it's appropriate, but absolutely it can, it can using kind of a more subjective or involved camera, uh, and really making the camera a character, so to speak in the, yep. in the story. And that comes into, um, I often, I find that, uh, honestly, for me, looking at genre is a really good way to explore things that you would do without genre, kind of stripping that away. But Ah, for example, um, choreographing an action scene or even just a, a, an intricate kind of dialogue scene through like say an apartment, um, but looking at the way that West Side, at West Side Story shoots their musical sequences. Uh. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the way that things like that work, or Singing in the Rain, or, or whichever you know, those classic Golden Age Hollywood movies where mm-hmm. the camera feels like it's a part of the dance, and then mm-hmm. you kind of take that and go, okay, let's strip away the music and the dancing. How can I make the camera feel like it's a part of the conversation that it's almost right. like peeking in? Horror, like, horror is um, a great genre to do this yeah. with as well. Yeah, because exactly. horror has such a subjective camera, such an involved camera, and yeah, so that's a great point. You know, taking a look at um stylistic choices that are often associated with different genres and applying them in different or unique ways that's that definitely can be a helpful exercise um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's you know here herzog is talking about saving time uh and again it's that can be a time-saving device or (laughs) if you're you know shooting like the the intro scene to goodfellas uh that may not so much be a time-saving device yes i mean and that's that's exactly it is is the complexity of those setups yeah yeah. so depends on on what how much you're gonna you know how much time you're gonna spend on it um yeah if you're doing a oneer for the sake of doing a oneer because it's a it's the impressiveness well that's the the oneer then that's a you should stay away from that regardless whereas i think that 
and Spielberg actually is really interesting Wanners because Spielberg, unlike that opening of, of Goodfellas, um, the Copacabana, mm-hmm. um, and unlike a lot of other directors who use Wanners, Spielberg's Wanners are actually very interesting because he almost hides them very he much almost like Kurosawa. Does. There's a great, uh, there's a great YouTube video. Yes, that it's analyzes- every frame of painting. There you go. Yeah. Every frame of which, and just let's like categorically just say recommend uh, that if you haven't seen every frame of painting, fantastic the, channel. The yeah. YouTube, yeah, it's a YouTube channel, a series of videos, uh, extremely well done. I think, sadly, the author of those videos has stopped making. Yeah, them. he um, he said that he basically he he always had an idea that it was going to run its course yeah. of like the amount of episodes he did. So. Luckily, it wasn't like a sad end. It was it was very much no, a planned it was, end. Yeah, but um, but. Uh, but no, it's a great, great example of where I think, again, Spielberg is one of those people that, again, uses it both for efficiency of time on set, but efficiency of storytelling. That yeah. it's like rather than, again, coming up with this intricate sequence with the thousand moving pieces, the opening of Touch of Evil or something, Spielberg's using wonders because it's, you know, why cut when I could just have this person yeah. walk over there and have the camera follow them? Yeah. And then, you know, and Kurosawa is a great example of that, too, where it's like you almost have with the wonders a great way to hide them is you know have every shot have a beginning a middle and an end so you start yeah. on a close-up and then instead of cutting to a medium just pull back the camera Recompose, yeah and then you're in a medium and then i think that that and that's another thing again that that is super related to those those 50s musicals that you look at musicals from the golden age of hollywood 50s and 60s um and you look at ones compared to today where it's almost like a cut on every beat oh, and there's yeah. there's this Hyper. there's constant cuts and um I think that it's incredible that you look back then and you feel so much more involved and immersed in the in the story, even though the editing is so much more tame and calm, um, and is really is really, if anything, uh, you know, restricted, restrained, and uh, which I think it works for those movies. Yeah, it doesn't have to be flamboyant. Yeah, no, exactly. Wonders don't have to be flamboyant. I think that's a great point, and you you've mentioned some great examples. And uh, I would recommend to other people out there, other directors, to take a look at those examples. Mm-hmm. And those are definitely, uh, I think, uh, setups that could save quite a bit of time. You're shooting a lot less coverage, and uh, I think that they can contribute significantly to better storytelling. I so, will say, though, if you're young or if you're starting out, um, go crazy. That uh, sounds kind of funny, but but I, <laughs> when I was you know in early high school, I used to do crazy camera movements as much as I could, and yeah. do tons of editing. I remember my when I was going. Um, when I was graduating high school and I was applying to film schools and stuff just for, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go yet and just wanted the options. Um, like I did this this crazy samurai sword fight where there was like this flashback <laughs> sequence awesome. and there was these crazy lights and fog and, uh, this, the, you know, yeah. the editing was insane and there was the movement, there was push-ins that were so quick and all this stuff. Right. Go crazy. Like I feel free to do that and well, then... Abs- yeah. Because now I feel that like I've looked at that and gone, oh, I, I'll pull back these things. Like I'll... I'll Kind of harness that energy, but not make it so outwardly sure. flamboyant, like you said. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to push far to kind of realize. Yeah, absolutely. There's no harm in in really getting wild and crazy um, and exploring the boundaries of techniques. Absolutely, I think that's. A I mean, great even point. you look at the the starting careers of uh, a lot of famous directors. You look at PTA, as we mentioned earlier. Yes, um, great example. His, his uh, like look Hard at- Eight and. Uh, 
Boogie Nights, they're well, really especially like, Boogie those, Nights and Magnolia. You got those oneers, and yep. the, you've got the, the long steady cam shots, a very uh, Jonathan Demi kind of style. A lot of movement, um, yeah. Movement, but now you look at his shots, and they're they're composed and they're solid, accurate, solid, and, and almost um, stoic sometimes. And I think I think one of the reasons that I would say go back and watch old Hollywood and watch movies from the 40s and 50s because the cameras were so big and heavy that they couldn't they didn't have right. the option to uh to go crazy with them so yeah. everything had to be super accurate and su- there was a level of preciseness yeah um that even the focus puller didn't have a monitor they had to know the the distance yeah. so there was this level of being completely precise and even when there was movement in the camera that you had to be so 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 accurate with it and i think right. that, that is such a great way to learn how to even if you're shooting on a dslr and you've got a big monitor in front of you and you don't need to worry about you know the weight of the camera or the focus or whatever um absolutely still try and emulate those styles and if if not for just a training exercise because you'll find that being reserved often and being kind of restrained in those ways will keep that energy up but it will also it'll just make things less hectic it'll make things look more precise and more um you know more uh pointed if, if anything right. is a word for it like you're pointing to a, a style in a direction well, I think that's great. That's great advice. I would think, you know, anytime that you can, you know, practice uh, your skills or kind of, you know, the more tools or, you know, the more technique that you have available to yourself, uh, the it's like having paints in your in your uh, palette, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the more exactly. the more colors you have to paint with, the more options you bring, um, the better for sure. So yeah. those are really great suggestions. And, uh, you know, especially in today's day and age, we live in, in the world of such small cameras, so much movement, so much shaky cam. It's that's kind of comic gone a little bit. But, you know, we've got mockumentary style or documentary style film. You know, it, everything is shot with so much movement now. Mm-hmm. It is. I think it's a great idea to go back to those older eras when cameras weighed a couple hundred pounds, <laughs> you know. And I think um, even a great, you know, example of that too of the the modern style you're talking about um which was trying to emulate old style was la la land uh Ah. i didn't i didn't love la la land and the reason for that was i found if you're trying to emulate the style of a 50s golden age musical with those big heavy bulky cameras and those sweeping dolly moves and things like that um shooting your entire movie on steadicam to save time is not the way to do that and so that movie really i think was a perfect example to me at least and a lot of people like that movie so i don't want to you know shit on people's opinions but that movie to me at least was a really great example of how how to you know what not to do when you're trying to use a kind of reserved when you're emulating a very reserved style of filmmaking, um, okay, it just, it just I, sort of I, took me out I, of the. I personally the liked the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. I didn't like it. Uh, I don't get digress here too far. I didn't. I didn't actually get into it the first like, first time I tried to watch it. I only watched mm-hmm. about fifteen minutes of it. I turned it off and then I rewatched it at a later date, and I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but but that might be to great extent because its content spoke very specifically to me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. had a lot of elements of my personal story that I really, really, really resonated with. Mm-hmm. So it, the movie really spoke to me. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I didn't notice, you know, uh, that I didn't notice what you have just called out. 
but maybe I'll check that film out again and see what I think and, and yeah. maybe provide a counter or maybe agree. I mean, it's, that's the argument, thing is, but... again, it's it's to me, I just I look and, and maybe that wasn't I, you know, I haven't spoken to Damon Chazelle, so maybe his point wasn't to perfectly em, uh, emulate. Right. It. But I think it, it's a good example in that of, of, you know, you compare the America scene from West Side Story versus the opening to La La Land. And I just go, OK, where? Where does America do things really well? Where does West Side mm -hmm. Story do things really well and, and feel really immersive versus what's taking you out of a scene like the opening in La Land? And again, you know, it's a, it's a yeah. popular movie that a lot of people love. So yeah. I'm, I'm likely in the minority on that one. But I do think that analyzing it in that way and kind of looking at the differences between um, a movie that's emulating those things versus the original sources is really an interesting kind of, you know, it's educational yeah. Uh, experience um well right well yeah. I, it's interesting i'll go back and take a look at that but for now we'll pull ourselves back a little bit mm -hmm. to to uh herzog's lesson but i love these digressions though this is this is you know this is like one of the wonderful things about filmmaking i mean everything is connected to everything and i mean obviously if you love film you could speak to you could go off on all of these tangents for weeks and months and yes lifetimes yeah. frankly <laughs> lifetimes so far for me it's been you know uh for about 30 years that i've gone off on this tangent to film so and with no signs of slowing down yet so <laughs> so that's one of the wonderful it's such a a rich and complex medium that uh you know it, it's it's a blast so well let's move into documentary filmmaking so in the second half here of this lesson Herzog speaks specifically to uh, shooting docs. Mm -hmm. And and right off the bat, he talks about, and this makes sense, this is in line with basically everything else that he's said up until this point about filmmaking in general, is to keep things small, you set up and shoot quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, and that is, he's always about maintaining urgency, right? He's maintaining flexibility, maintaining urgency. You don't want to lose momentum. You, you want to keep an intensity. And, and I think he's spoken to all those things quite a few times. I totally agree. But he also, there's something else that's important to uh, think of here. And I've run into this uh, numerous times when I'm shooting uh, documentary type footage, when I'm shooting interviews. And that's that, you know, you got to remember when you're shooting a documentary, everybody that's going to be in front of your camera is not going to be a professional filmmaker. They're not an actor. They aren't trained. And most people feel uncomfortable in front of a camera and they definitely are going to feel uncomfortable and can be intimidated if you've got a huge crew with a ton of lights, you know, booms. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you've got, you've, you know, it, 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 the more people you've got, the bigger the footprint you've got, the more likely you are to intimidate. Um, and that's actually an important, you know, an important thing to remember. And also too, you know, most or many situations, at least when it comes to documentary filmmaking, they're not, you're not going to be allowed to have a lot of just logistically, uh, mm -hmm. you're not going to be led into most places if you have a huge crew. Yeah, your locations are a huge aspect of that. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, just learning to shoot quickly with a small crew is going to be of such a huge benefit in a documentary film, you know, I would say even more so than a narrative uh, just mm -hmm. because it's, it's likely that the logistics of it won't allow you to shoot with a large crew. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, he also, and you've, you and I have taught, I think this, you know, in line with, uh, shooting coverage versus, uh, really knowing exactly you want to shoot it. You know, he talks about not leaving, 
camera decisions to post, right? Yes. And yes. and I know you've got some some thoughts on this, but Herzog's like, look, you know, just because you're shooting in 4K, 6K, 8K, 12K, whatever it might be, don't leave your framing to post. Yeah. Don't just shoot with the idea that like, ah, I can recomp, you know, I can just compose this any way I want in post. I can crop in. Uh, it should be a last the, resort at most. At most, um, yeah. Tell me about your experience with that. Yeah, I've. I mean, I've done it. I'll, I'll say, like, guilty as charged in that I've right. shot in 4K, and and it's not even a resolution thing for me because I think that you could, you could realistically get a short shot that is 700 or 720p on a movie theater screen, and I think that most most general audiences would hardly notice. Right. Um. But it's it's so it's not even like the lowering of the resolution. It's nothing like that. Um. I just think that again, going back to the accuracy of what you're shooting, yeah. um, that you should you should just focused you, you're intent. Gonna, you're gonna even just the way that lenses work. That like there's there's aspects to barrel distortion on lenses that if you start rearranging a shot, that there's gonna be wonky side effects that you just right. may not that may slip past you that are gonna show up. Um, and it's just it just it's the accuracy, and I think that anybody who's going in and shooting, you know, purposefully wide and then saying, but we'll just crop it in a little bit. Uh, is is doing themselves a disservice and doing the visuals in their movie a disservice. I yeah. again, I've I've done that. I've I've in an emergency, in, yeah, um, in emergencies, yeah, in in a situation where I go oh, either there's something on the edge of the frame that looks too awkward to uh, be there, or it's distracting that I just didn't notice was in there, or um, you know, sometimes it's something like ah oh, the 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 B cam failed in an interview. And so I just need to get a closer yeah. up shot. And it's, You've got you know, right to change perspective. But it, again, it should to, be, yeah. it should be your last resort. It should be something that, because it's not, I, I won't say that it is like the worst thing in the world, but it is certainly um, something that if you're going, it, and it all, again, it all comes down to onset. Like if it's something that you're going into thinking of onset that, Oh, we're going to reach crop this, then you're going to be less specific and less accurate I with agree. your camera. Whereas it, if you do it in post, just as a savior me- saving measure, then then that's to me it's I don't a really thing. take issue. Yeah, exactly. Right, and I agree. I think it just comes back again to it's about decision procrastination. I mean, why why are you pushing that decision back? You know, I think it's the same argument people use to shoot a lot of coverage is that they use to do this, which is, well, hey, look, if we uh, we're on a high res camera here, let's shoot real wide, and then we have you know, all the flexibility in the world to reframe this uh, in post. Mm-hmm. It just never works out that way, though. You end no, up getting yeah. to post. I mean, imagine, you know, think about it. You you get into post with 100 hours of footage, you well, know, 300. Th- 300 hours of footage. <laughs> and on top of that, it's all basically unframed, right? Yeah. I mean, come on, re- seriously? You it's think like, that it's you're going like to make you're a- putting... I mean, again, it's like you've put something in a paper shredder and now you're taping it together afterwards <laughs> to make the Mona Lisa. Like, you're not yeah, going to get I, it. I think I think just psychologically, when you move with purpose, when you have a focused intent, when you're present there on the day, you should be making those decisions on the day, right? Yes. It's not like, I mean, a painter doesn't paint a painting on, like, an extra large canvas and then, you know take it, you know, and then give it to somebody and be like, well, you know, you can kind of like crop this however you want. I just made it like really huge. Uh, it's extra big. And then, you know, you can just cut this canvas so that it's, <laughs> it's like, come on, that, you know, uh, you should be working with, with, you know, and that's where I guess, you know, vision, right? It's like, you, you should have the vision, you should be executing that vision. And I just, I know a lot of people are going to, you know, some people are going to say, but you know, wow, it just, I leave myself so many options in editing if I do this. And I just, 
you know, I hope uh, I can articulate this well enough. I just don't think that's the case. I think what you end up with is just a bunch of generic garbage. Yes. Is what is yes. actually, yeah. It's generic. That's a perfect way to put it is that you're just, you're not going to, if you're not making specific decisions, then it's, it's not going to, you're not going to have anything special. Yeah. Um, and so, and so speaking of garbage, I mean, and you know, this is huge. Herzog is, look, collect the remarkable. Yes. Not garbage, right? We're not garbage collectors. Yeah. We're and filmmakers. And if you shoot, through, as he says too, if you shoot 300 hours, you don't know what you're doing. And that's, that's, I that's love harsh, it. but, but I, I think, think it's so. true. If you shoot yeah. 300 hours, you don't know what you're doing. And I've, I've been there, not 300 hours, but I have I have been in my own way at that place. And it, yeah. I can tell you from experience, it's totally true. And then you sit back and you go, Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> How am I going to get and, through this? Yeah, and, and, and you know, and it, it, I, I don't know if he says this in another lesson. I think he might, or maybe it's in some other interviews. But look, at, like we're not flies on the wall, mm-hmm. you know, we're not security cameras, right? I mean, a security camera is just records all day, every day, waiting yeah. for something interesting to I'm happen. I'm sure you could make a movie out of that, but God, it'd probably be pretty boring. Don't do that. Don't do that as a film. <laughs> right. I shouldn't put that out on the internet because it's going to get in someone's <laughs> head and they're going to do it. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that as a filmmaker. Yeah. You know, move with purpose, move with focus and vision. And, you know, the idea is that in what I, I love about Herzog, what really stands out to me is his like his obsession with new images as he defines them, like, you know, to, to finding new imagery to to bring to people, to bring to an audience, to help, you know, storytelling is about helping us understand who we are and why we're here and mm-hmm. what is this thing that we're doing, which is life? What is this experience that is existence? It's try. It's helping us find a way to understand that all storytelling. Totally, yeah. And just and, to just to even just again, like just to kind of reiterate that that it's imagine yourself as an audience member and think of how exciting it is to see something new on the screen. A new, you're like right. When you when you watch a movie and it's like I've never seen this before. That's the most amazing feeling in the world. And that will very very rarely happen on accident if you just like keep your camera rolling long enough yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if it does happen if you do happen to get that you're likely to be drowning in footage and you won't be able to find it anyway and you probably won't be able to replicate it <laughs> you've got to make it you've got to to execute vision and make yes. it happen so yeah. right yes we are not garbage collectors we are filmmakers yeah. and what a fantastic uh final quote to end this episode on mm-hmm. uh wow man as nice always, nice Colin, night. it was yeah. a good one. This was a good one. I, I had a blast. Um, yeah. So, well, thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope that it was as enjoyable for you as it was for us. Uh, next episode, we will be jumping into Lesson 11, which is going to be a good one. It's mm-hmm. not the gear. It's you. Oh, this will be a good one. And I know I know you're, you're a gearhead. There we go. Colin, yeah, so I'll, this is going to be a good one. We'll have a good talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, All right, thanks, thanks everyone, so much yeah. for joining us. We'll catch you next time. See ya.